Well, turn with me, please, again to Matthew chapter 13, to the passage we uh, read earlier. Matthew 13, verse 24 to 30, and then um, 34 or 36 to 43. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that it is possible to have communion, fellowship with you through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and through the gift of your Holy Spirit. So our prayer is, Father, that we would experience the reality of that fellowship as we listen to you and hear from your word, that our encounter would, our encounter with you would, would change us and that we would go from this place and people would know that we had been with Jesus and met with the living God and even see that on our faces. In his name we pray. Amen. Some of you may uh, know our, um, that in our garden there's a small rockery, a small rockery, and the, the previous owners had planted it and uh, with all sorts of what I'll call rockery-type plants. If uh, John Pickering were here, you could ask him about what they all were. Uh, but over the years, the rockery uh, started to grow things like grass, uh, dandelions, and other weeds. How did they get there? How did they get there? The previous owners didn't plant them, and I didn't plant them. And uh, so the seeds, the seeds of the weeds must have been carried by the wind, or by birds, or maybe uh, mice, because I do see occasionally a little mouse at the front, maybe by mice or cats using the rockery as their toilet, though presumably not at the same time. Well, I discovered that if I tried to pull out all the weeds in the rockery, that as I was pulling out the weeds, I was also pulling out the flowers as well, the rockery plants. So for the last few years, I have simply I've let the grass grow and then just cut it when it's got long over the top of the plants and done the same with the weeds. But this year, this year I dismantled the rockery. Uh, I suppose I should say with some help from, from Callum. But I cleared the ground. I removed the weeds, roots and all, which takes a bit of time. Uh, and then I sprayed the ground with weed killer. Not once, but twice with environmentally friendly weed killer. Not friendly to weeds, but and then I put down a kind of weed preventer, a sheet, uh, a fabric, a membrane. Some of you will know what that's like. Put that down uh, over the ground. And then I put a small layer of soil, topsoil on top of the sheet. And then I put the rocks back on. And then I, for good measure, I put stones, smaller stones all around the rocks. Now I still have to, um, I still have to put in new plants to replant it with new plants and flowers. But here's the question. After I've done all that, Will that keep the weeds away? What do you think, Joshua? No, it will not. It might delay their appearance for a few months, but it will not prevent the weeds coming back. And if I am hoping that what I've done will keep all the weeds away, I will be badly disappointed. Uh, for my expectation, my hope would be unrealistic. Uh, it would not match reality. My hope, my expectation would not match the, the reality. They would be unrealistic. And one of the reasons that Jesus tells us this parable of the wheat and the weeds is to stop us being fooled 
or disappointed or frustrated by unrealistic expectations. And that's the first point. Jesus wants to stop us from being fooled or disappointed or frustrated by unrealistic expectations. And that is true whether we consider the field as the world, which Jesus says it is, verse 38, the field is the world, or whether we're considering the kingdom of heaven, which is in the world. Because in verse 41, we read that that's the kingdom, yes, that belongs to Jesus, the Son of Man, but it's out of which, out of that kingdom, his angels, the harvesters, will one day weed everything that causes sin and all who do evil. So we shouldn't have unrealistic expectations, either of the world itself or the kingdom of God, the visible kingdom of God in this world. Why shouldn't we have unrealistic expectations? Well, because God has an enemy. God has an enemy. The Son of Man has an enemy, and Jesus says who it is. The enemy who sows them, verse 39, is the devil. The devil who sows weeds in God's world and in God's kingdom. And Jesus tells us that these weeds are people, ordinary men and women who belong to the devil the evil one. End of verse 38, the weeds are the people of the evil one. And you might think, well, does that really mean really bad people? No, in the scriptures, in the scriptures, however hard it is for us to hear, and it is hard for us to hear today, there are only two options. We either have God as our heavenly father through faith in Jesus Christ, or the devil is our spiritual father. We either have a heavenly father or a hellish father. There's no middle ground. There's no third way. We are either children of the light or children of the darkness. And notice that Jesus teaches us here that the devil is real. He is personal. He is active. He is God's enemy. And he is sowing weeds, tares, in the older versions. He's sowing weeds or tares among the wheat that Jesus, the Son of Man, has sown. So Jesus wants to stop us from being fooled uh, or disappointed by unrealistic expectations. And that means two things, one regarding the world that we live in and one regarding the kingdom of God in the world. Firstly, in terms of the world in general, the world will be full of weeds until the day Jesus returns. And you might say, well, G James, that's obvious. <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe it is obvious to you. But there's two things that flow from that truth that the world will be full of weeds until the day Jesus returns. Firstly, that means we should refuse to believe the secular myth of human progress. We should refuse to believe the secular myth of human progress. It's still a persistent myth, despite even the history of the last 100 years. I mean, at the end of the 19th century, when the new ideas of Charles Darwin were really catching people's imagination, you know, the origin of the species, the evolution of humanity, then it was widely believed that humanity was on an upward path. And then what happened? World War I happened. That myth exploded in the, in the trenches of the Somme and elsewhere. 
But it's still, it's still a persistent myth. But we should refuse to believe the secular myth of human progress. Yes, there's progress technologically, scientifically, in all sorts of ways. Morally, ethically, spiritually. No. We are still sinners who need Jesus as our Savior. So that's the first application of that, the world being full of weeds until Jesus returns. We should refuse to believe the secular myth of human progress. But the second application is we should be wary of what I'm going to call the spiritual, or a myth of spiritual progress. What do I mean by that? I mean by that that we should be wary of claims about how Christianity will transform society progressively in a continuously upward direction. Because history shows us, and the Bible shows us, that is a spiritual myth. Oh yes, there are times in our society and in our nation when things improve because of the power of the gospel to change lives. But history shows us, and the scriptures show us, that even even the most powerful work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives and in communities and societies does not last forever. Or maybe I should put it more accurately, does not continue in the same way forever. You know, people may be changed forever, that is true, but the, the impact, we know that. The purifying fire fades and weeds are sown. Weeds are sown. Where have these weeds come from? Well, an enemy, an enemy has done this. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not wanting to, to undermine in any way the power of the gospel to transform lives and transform situations. It's the only hope we have in this needy world, the hope of Christ. But let's not fall for a spiritual version of the secular myth of this kind of continuous upward progress. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus wants us to be not to be fooled or disappointed by unrealistic expectations regarding the world. After all, the Apostle John tells us that the whole world is under the control. Uh, what does he say? 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That might make you stop and think, is God not sovereign? Yes, he is. But the world in its rebellion, the world in its sinfulness is under the sway of Satan and will be until Jesus returns to deal with them finally and fully. So I said that's, that's applying to the world, this unrealistic expectation, but it applies more specifically to the kingdom of God in the world as well as the world itself. There will be weeds among the wheat of the kingdom until the return of Christ. Uh, it applies, yes, to the visible church, but it also applies to any kind of kingdom work. Uh, you may well know that following the kind of evangelical awakening of the 19th century, um, or the 18th century, sorry, and then the 1859 revival in the 19th century, there was a huge flowering, a huge blossoming of Christian work, of Christian societies, Christian charities, all sorts of organizations, even things like, I think, the RSPCA and things like that, founded on Christian principles. And there are so many organizations you could look at, but let me just take one today. The story of Dr. Bernardo. You may have heard of Bernardo's homes. Well, Dr. Bernardo, John Bernardo was born in Dublin 
and he was converted as a 17-year-old. He became a Christian when he was 17 years old. He moved to London to study medicine. And when he was in London, he was shocked, appalled by what he found there. The poverty and the destitution, the homelessness of children, partly because of a cholera epidemic that had swept through London at that time. And he rescued thousands of children. First of all, it was just boys, but then later after he he married and his wife got involved in the work, girls as well as boys. He not only brought them into homes, he, he was the first really to start a fostering system, recognizing that children did better in homes rather than in institutions. He rescued and his wife rescued girls from prostitution. Now, here's the point. Bernardo's work was firmly grounded on his Christian principles and Christian faith. But now, if you go to Bernardo's website, same organization, if you read through their history, yes, it mentions John Bernardo. It talks about his coming over from Ireland to England. But there is not a single mention of Christianity or his Christian faith. Not one. Why? You might think of a number of reasons. It's a different time we live in. Well, I would suggest fundamentally an enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. What of the church of John Knox and Samuel Rutherford? What of the church of John and Charles Wesley? What of the IPC? We're part of the IPC founded by Francis Schaeffer in the 50s. Is it free? Are we free of weeds? Of course we're not. There is no such thing as a perfect weed-free church here on earth. And no matter how many times I might replant or we might replant our garden or our rockery, the weeds will grow again. There is an enemy at work sowing weeds. Now, again, I appeal to you, don't, don't hear what I'm saying as a counsel of despair or, or a call to cynicism, to weary cynicism. It's not that. But Jesus does not want us to be fooled or disappointed or frustrated by foolish, unrealistic expectations. That's the first point. Then the second thing flows on from that, doesn't it? What should we do then when we discover weeds among the wheat? Because the parable would tell us, if we just read it on the surface, that we Jesus seems to say, do nothing. You know, leave everything till the harvest time. Is Jesus telling us we just have to wait for the end of the age? Is Jesus saying there's no place, for, for example, for church discipline? Uh, do elders have no responsibility to protect the flock from the wolves that are dressed up as sheep? No, Jesus is not saying any of those things. Because otherwise he would be contradicting what he says a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 17, about dealing with a sinner within the church. And he would be contradicting what the rest of the New Testament says. And remember that the whole of the New Testament is Jesus speaking. If you want a verse that tells you that, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 2 tells you about the commands given by the Lord Jesus Christ through his apostles. So when the apostles teach us, and it's recorded by the Holy Spirit in Scripture, it is Christ who's teaching us. 
And that means when the Apostle Paul says about the man who had committed incest in the church in Corinth and says you should have expelled this man immediately, that is, a, that is an instruction from Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1 and 2. So Jesus is not saying there is no need for church discipline or the pastoral oversight and care of elders. But I think... And it is controversial if there are different interpretations of this power, but I think Jesus wants to stop us falling into the trap of exercising the kind of absolute judgment that belongs to him alone. I think Jesus wants to stop us falling into the trap of exercising the kind of absolute definitive judgment that belongs to him alone. The kind of judgment that requires perfect knowledge and perfect wisdom. And who among us has perfect knowledge and perfect wisdom but Christ alone? And yes, he will exercise that at the end of the age. Uh, you may remember that, uh, I don't mean that you remember because you were alive then, but you may remember that Queen Elizabeth I once said, I have no desire to make windows into men's souls. Uh, interesting context in which she said that, she was trying to impose the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. David will keep me right if I've got this wrong. But she's trying to impose a common liturgy uh, onto the church at that time. And some bishops and priests were saying, well, you know, we don't maybe believe this. And Queen Elizabeth was basically saying, I don't really care whether you believe it or not, as long as you do it, you know. So she was saying, I don't really want to know whether you're a hypocrite or not. She says then, I have no desire to make windows into men's souls. As long as I see your lips moving, that is fine. Well, Jesus would do it the other way around, doesn't it? Uh, well, the truth of Jesus is that he does have windows into men's souls and he knows whether we are genuine wheat or simply weeds that look like wheat. But Queen Elizabeth had a point. It is true that only, only Jesus can see the true condition of our hearts and souls. We have a saying in English, don't we, about throwing out the, the baby with the bathwater. And that is, the, that is the danger, isn't it, that Jesus warns us of here. We might throw out the clean baby with the dirty bath water. I wonder if, if you've ever done something like this, and I, I have. I was trying to remember exactly what it was, and it just came back to me last night. Have you ever gathered up waste paper for recycling? If you ever see my study from time to time, you'll know that I have to do this to get away to the desk. So gathering it all up and then dump it into the recycling bin. And then you start looking for something important. And I was trying to remember, what was it I had to hunt for? I remember it was a check. Don't get so many checks these days with transfer and whatnot, but this is a while ago, it was a check. And I think there's definitely a check sitting in that pile. So I go hunting through the recycling bin. And thankfully, unlike my mother-in-law's painting that I was telling you about the other week, found the check. Um, so that was, that was good. But why had I thrown out? Because I had just thought it was a piece of paper. Just gathered it up with all the other scraps of paper into the recycling bin. And in my zeal for cleanliness, I got rid of the wheat as well as the weeds. Uh, J.C. Ryle, we're often quoting J.C. Ryle. He's written very helpful notes on the Gospels. Uh, he makes the comment that um, zeal without knowledge, he's quoting there from Romans 10, verse 2, where Paul talks about the Israelites having zeal, but not according to knowledge. Zeal without knowledge 
has often done much harm. Those who don't care what happens to the wheat, provided they can root up the weeds, show a little of the mind of Christ. And after all, says Ryle, there is deep truth in the saying of Augustine, those who are weeds today may be wheat tomorrow. Those who are weeds today may be wheat tomorrow. Again, this is not to deny the legitimate place of church discipline or pastoral oversight, but Jesus is telling us in terms of exercising this absolute definitive judgment that we are to wait for the harvest, to wait for his perfect judgment to be carried out on his behalf by his harvesters, the angels. He's not telling us to avoid the proper use of discipline. He's not telling elders to do nothing about wolves attacking the flock of Christ. But he does want to stop us exercising the kind of judgment that belongs to him alone. And then thirdly and more briefly, Jesus wants us to know that history is heading towards a conclusion. So Jesus doesn't want us to be fooled or disappointed by unrealistic expectations. He doesn't want us to fall into the trap of exercising the kind of judgment that belongs to him alone. And then thirdly, he wants us to know that history is heading towards a conclusion. At the end of the age, there will be a harvest. There will be a harvest. And the weeds will be removed and bundled up and burned. And the wheat will be gathered into the barns. And the righteous shall shine like the sun in the kingdom of his Father when God will be all in all. Gorbachev's, Mikhail Gorbachev's funeral, I think, was just yesterday. He died on Tuesday, the last leader of the Soviet Union. And, you know, with the collapse of the Soviet Union and with the collapse of the Berlin Wall, some got carried away. I may have quoted him before about the philosopher Fukuyama, Francis Fukuyama, who wrote a book called The End of History. The End of History. And he writes this, humanity has reached not just this is at the end of the Cold War, humanity has reached not just the passing of a particular period of post-war history, but the end of history as such. That is, the end point of mankind's ideological evolution and the universalization of Western liberal democracy as the final form of human government. Let me translate that. The end of history as such, that is the end kind of mankind's ideological evolution. Now we've reached the end point of where we're heading for in terms of the universalization that is all over the world. Western liberal democracy has triumphed. Well, it was a foolish thing to say at the time and a few short years have shown how overblown that statement was. If only he had read the Bible. In fact, you might just say, if only he'd read the history books, but along with the history books, if only he'd read the Bible, if only he had read this parable of Jesus. And do you see that how the youngest child, the youngest child who knows their Bible is wiser than the world's philosopher who doesn't? Because if Francis Fukuyama had read his Bible, he would have realized that the end of history will not come with the fall of the Soviet Union. He would have realized that the final form of human government will not be the universal triumph of Western liberal democracy, 
but the reign of King Jesus and the rule of the kingdom of God. That is the final form of human government that this world will see. When all the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of the Lord and of God Christ Jesus. And if he had read his Bible and read this parable, he would have realized that at the end of the age, only at the end of the age, everything that causes sin, do you see that Jesus says in 41? Everything that causes sin, including the devil, including the devil, and all who do evil, that is all who do not live for the glory of God, will be thrown into the blazing furnace, the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Incidentally, I haven't written this down, but just notice there, the devil is not in charge of hell. Sometimes you get that caricature, don't you? The devil himself, along with everything that causes sin and all who do evil, will be thrown into the blazing furnace. Elsewhere, it talks about the lake of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if he'd read the parable, he would have realized that the righteous, who are the righteous? Well, they're not those who have made the grade, but those who have received God's grace. He would have realized that the righteous, those who live by faith in the Son of God, who has loved us and given himself for us, the righteous will shine bright like a diamond. To quote Rihanna. Rihanna? Maybe she just quote the Bible. Sign bright like the sun. You and me, if we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ and by faith in Christ, we will shine like the sun. Isn't that amazing? We will shine like the sun. Jesus is quoting here from Daniel 12, verse 3. Shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom. We will share in the glory of Jesus. Forever. And if you and I have put our faith in Jesus Christ of believing in him and receiving him and trusting him as our Lord and our King and our Savior, as you believe in him as the one who has died for you and brought you and brings you and offers you forgiveness for all your sins, then your future is brighter than you or I or anyone else could possibly imagine. It's a future as bright as the sun itself. And that is a hope and an expectation which is not unrealistic. And why is it not unrealistic? Because it matches the reality of the risen Jesus himself. So let me ask you as I close, what kind of future will yours be? What will be the end of your history? Will it end in tears? Or will it end in triumph? Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you know that we do struggle at times often to live as your people in this world in which we are strangers and aliens. But we thank you for the reality check that this parable gives to us. Forgive us, Father, when we have foolish expectations of either how this world should be or how your kingdom should be in this world. Help us to remember that there is an enemy who sows weeds among the wheat. And give to us, Lord, that discernment and wisdom to know what things, especially in kingdom work and in church work, should 
and can be dealt with by the grace of Christ and the power of the Spirit, but also to know and to leave that definitive, absolute judgment to Christ and to Christ alone at the end of the age. We thank you, Father, that history is not meaningless, but is moving in a direction until the end of the age when Christ returns and sends his angels uh, to rid out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And Father, it is our prayer that each of us here would know the blessing of your grace, that we might be find among, found among the righteous, be shining like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Amen.